0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. You know, I, I don't know if you remember. I, I know there's a lot of married couples here. Do you guys remember the sermon during your wedding? <laughs> right? So it's not just me. (laughs) I don't remember a word of the sermon that was preached in my wedding. Well, one, for me, it was two problems. One, he spoke in Korean. And two, I didn't understand the word of it. (laughs) So I just nodded and smiled and agreed. Um, I, I, I kind of figured what he had to say, but not fully. But the pastor did put me on the spot during our wedding. And he did this. So we did our vows, and I, it's, you agree, yes, yes. I, I I sat on the dotted line. I'm I'm just agreeing to everything that he told me, and I we said the vows. But at the end of the vows, the pastor said, "Now tell your bride something you've never said to her before." And I had to think for a moment. Okay, so I whispered something to her ear. Then he said. Now tell us what you said. Like, um, I said, I told her I love you. And then he said, I told you to tell her something you haven't told her. And I said, I never told her. And he didn't believe me. Consider that for a moment. A pastor at an altar of God questioned another pastor that he was lying. (laughs) But if you knew our story you wouldn't understand why. Because, you know, Sarah and I were talking for a few months, then I flew to Korea, and we had, I was there for two weeks. First seven days, we just had really bad dates. Like, we didn't want to, we were just being courteous to one another for the first seven days. You have a bad date, you say bye, and it didn't work out. But when somebody flies over to the other side of the country to see you, you're a little bit more courteous to show them around. First seven days was painful. Eighth day, we had a good date. Ninth day, it was a good date. Tenth day, I proposed, if you can imagine. And she was crazy enough to say yes. Three days later, I flew back. Three months later, we got married. So at that altar, we were still strangers. So when the pastor said, hey, tell her something you've never said before, I said, I love you. And that, my friends, was a supernatural love because even an hour before, I, because we were still strangers. I mean, Sarah will tell you, we were still strangers at that altar. We were going in faith that God set us up. And that's a whole testimony in itself and funny story, I think. You know, that's another day, another sermon. I will save it for another time you visit. But I will say that we married in faith and at that altar, God gave us supernatural love. Thank God. <laughs> I remember as I was saying the vows, God gave me this love that overwhelmed me. And as I looked at my bride, and she don't get me wrong. She looked beautiful. She was stunning. Actually, the whole week she was stunning. So I couldn't wait for the marriage night, uh, marriage day, marriage day. <laughs> I couldn't wait for the marriage day. Come on, clear up. <laughs> marriage day. As we said the vows, this emotion that I did not know hour before welled up that as i was speaking to her i will protect you i will love you i will go out of my way to serve you to bless you all of your days and as i was saying that i realized this was a supernatural love now i don't know if other couples i don't know if other couples here that that happened to you Now, granted, our situation was a little bit different because most of the times people are already in love by the time they get married, not at the altar, right? So I realized this was a special situation, but I also knew that this love was also supernatural. Because it's not like I didn't love or I didn't date before. This was a supernatural, selfless love that I vowed as I was before God to put her life ahead of mine. We've been going through the Living Church sermon series for the past weeks. And we looked at the various metaphors of what church is. And we said, hey, there's a lot of different opinions of what church is. Because people come to church for different reasons. You know, some to find love, to be loved, to find community, to whatever people go to church for, we said, it doesn't matter what people's expectation is, but we are going to figure out what God calls the church to be, and we're going to be faithful in that call. And within the scripture of God's word for the church, he has outlined many different metaphors to outline what he instills, uh, the call of the church, and that is to be the body of Christ, to be um, the temple to host his Holy Spirit and his presence, right? To, I need to read. I'm forgetting things. I had COVID. I had brain fogs. So sometimes this happens. Be gracious to me. This is church. Thank you. (laughs) Last week we talked about being an embassy as ambassadors for Christ. And tonight we're going to look at the church as the bride of Christ. The church as the bride of Christ. Now, there's many mentions of the church being the bride, but have you ever considered what it means to be the bride of Christ? I mean, what does that mean? Where did that even come from? But then, really, in practical sense... What does that mean for my life? Or what does it mean for this church, for our members to be the Bride of Christ? So let's first look at the, to answer why the church is referred as a Bride of Christ. Where does it come from? One of the first mentions is in John chapter 3. John the Baptist is having a discussion with his disciples. And if you remember the background, John the Baptist was a prophet. He baptized in the Jordan River, including Jesus himself. He had a ministry. He prophesied. He preached like fire and brimstone message. People from all over came to hear God's word through this prophet. The situation happened where after he baptized Jesus, Jesus is now baptizing people in the Jordan River. And the people that used to flock to John is now going to Jesus. And the disciples were a little bit concerned. They're losing membership. Their church is shrinking in size, right? And so he, they're having conversation with John, and John responds by saying this in uh, 327. He answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear, witness, uh, bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. So John's disciples were concerned about the loss of ministry. Loss of membership of their church, if you will. Right? And... They were looking at the numbers, and they are concerned. But John responds by saying, friend of the bridegroom rejoices for the bridegroom when he enters. Because the friend is not the center of the attention in the wedding, but the bridegroom and the bride. Now, a little practical application on this one. It's very easy for us to get caught up with certain numbers in our life and get distracted by the small things, right? It's very easy for us to look at certain number, whether it's our bank account, whether it's our business, um, how many customers you have, or how how little customers you have. Whatever, sometimes the numbers distract us and worries us because the numbers give some of you guys significance, Or when the numbers are small, you feel less significant. It's important to know that our significance comes from who we are with, not the numbers. Amen? And John, the prophet, was speaking to his disciples, it is not about the numbers or who gets the numbers. The focus is on the bridegroom. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. Now, did they get what he was saying? <laughs> That's another story. But the significance of John's teaching was who Jesus was because who he had the bride, the people. Going further, in the Old Testament, the people of God, the Israelites, were often referred to as the bride. There was a relationship between God. In heaven, in his relationship with his people, as the bride, bridegroom with the bride. One example, it's all throughout, but one example, Jeremiah 2, 1 through 2, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. That's one metaphor of how God spoke to his people. You followed me as a bride in that love and the relationship that we walk together. Follow me? If you read the Song of Solomon, it is the king's pursuit for his beloved, but we know that the whole book is a metaphor of God's pursuit of his people. That is the bridegroom for a love for his bride, his beloved. It is a metaphor of God and his church, his beloved, us. Many examples. So, so it's no wonder when John the Baptist, who is called to identify and prepare the way of the Christ, the Son of God, for his coming. And when he sees him, he immediately calls him out of the metaphor that has always been known to the Israelites. One who has the bride, the people of God, is the bridegroom. It's the identity of God and his relationship with his people because it's all about God the king, his pursuit in love for his people. Because Jesus came to reconcile the people, the one he loves, to adore back to him through the demonstration of his love on that cross. That's the courting, that's the pursuit in demonstrating of his love. Now, there are a lot of ways that people imply and feel love. We say, I love ice cream. I do. I always have ice cream in my freezer. In the same way, we say, thank you, amen to that sister. We're sisters here. In the same way, we say, I love my house. I love my car. I love my kids. But often because we say I love we blanket for God so loved the world as God loves an object. You guys with me? We recognize that the word love has many different annotations in different languages there's different words for different kind of love in in our culture love We just blanket it for an object as to the kids, which is much more, you know, selfless. But there's different love for your spouse. you guys with me? I mean, that love doesn't even compare to ice cream. As much as I love ice cream, my love for my bride goes much deeper. And that's saying a lot. I love ice cream. But we have to be careful when we think, when we read, for God so loved the world, and we consider ourselves more like an object than a bride that God came to save and love. There's a deep connection of the vow and the covenant and the blood that was shed for the sake of the bride. Have you guys ever made a blood oath, blood promise? All, you know, all the time? What world are you living in? <laughs> For some of you guys who don't know, that transmits some disease. <laughs> so good luck in this day of COVID and, you know, whatever disease. But, you know, in a lot of cultures, if you look it up, blood oath, it's common in almost all cultures. It's kind of crazy if you were to look at it. But people cut, or a little prick, shake hand to say, this is serious. Your life depends on it. When you were a kid, you probably, you know, might have said something like, maybe this guy just yesterday. But I don't know. But when there is blood, there is pain, and it shows how serious it is. Well, have you considered where that comes from? Well, in the ancient times... There were sacrifices made where blood was shed to show the seriousness. There was asset. There is payment that costly in order to show how serious a covenant was made. Countries made treaties and sacrifices were made to show the value of that treaty being made. But God, from the earliest of the scripture, demonstrated when he made a covenant with Abraham... There were many covenants, but there was a demonstration with the blood. If you remember in, in Genesis 15, God made a covenant promise with Abraham, and Abraham was his man of faith who followed, right? And he says, I will give you the land, I will give you the promise, the pr- the promise. And your son, he, he didn't have a At a time when he had no children, you would have a son, and kings will rise, nations will rise from this. Big, big promises. But it wasn't until Genesis 15, starting from verse 17, where God told Abraham, I want you to get a bunch of animals. And there was a strict outline of the kind of animals and the number of animals. And he were to cut them in half. And this is grotesque. Cut them in half, make two rows of carcass separated. And in the middle, in between these carcass, blood in between. When Abraham followed that instruction, this is what happened. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these two pieces, or, or these pieces, the rose. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. And then the text after is God confirming the covenant he made with Abraham. I will give you this land, I will give you this land, outlining the entire borders of the promised land that we know. And outlining God's covenant promise of Abraham, of his blessing for all generations. When there was blood shed, God went through in between to show he is in the center of that covenant promise. You know, in weddings, the bride stands here, the groom stands there, and they're separate. And in between is the pastor speaking the word of God. And what we believe in faith is that at the altar, there is a man and a woman separate, but as God goes through the center, he joins them together. The two becomes one. One, As they make a vow before God, we believe from the scripture that two becomes one in the Holy Covenant. And what God has joined together, let not man separate. And we say that after the vows are said. Because they've been joined together. In the ancient times, Jewish weddings... They follow different customs than what we have today. It took sometimes, a lot of times days, but sometimes even a full week. And there's a lot of different stages of the wedding that could be from the engagement to years later, the actual time when the, the bridegroom comes back for the bride and has a ceremony and the vows. And, and there's a lot of different steps that takes days. But there's something called... Um, I don't want to spit out, but. <laughs> and this is where after the couple makes the vow, they are giving, given for the very first time in privacy a place, maybe a tent, a separate room, to go themselves. In their culture, they were never to have a personal date as we know today. They never had personal time in privacy. This, after the vow is made, they're sent for a time period, so that they can have that, they could talk, but usually there's something else that people expect. And there is also to be two witnesses, one for the bride, one for the bridegroom, who stand outside to witness The celebratory sound or the sign of the blood? Now, we recognize in our culture, we don't like talking about blood or some of the intimate things. We don't talk about it in the church often. But back then, they were celebrated. The blood was celebrated because it fulfilled that the person kept the promise. You guys with me? The promise was fulfilled And it was given as a gift. And when that blood was shown, it was celebrated. That the covenant was made and the relationship was consummated, the marriage was consummated, and they are truly one. The blood confirms the covenant that was made. um you know whenever i think about that i've had conversation blood is painful because blood recognizes that there is a wound behind the blood so there is always pain behind the blood but i've never heard a bride says that blood it wasn't he wasn't worth it <laughs> that pain wasn't worth it. I've never heard. Not saying it doesn't happen. Not saying it has never been said. I just never have heard it. Because when the pain is given, we recognize there, is, well, there was a bigger cause, bigger purpose. Maybe that pain, that blood was given for the bigger purpose of the covenant and it was worth it. But nobody likes the pain, Right? Nobody likes it. But it's interesting that when the bridegroom of Jesus came for his bride, he gave his blood. He didn't demand blood, pain from his bride. He took it upon himself to give the blood. To save her. To protect her. To show his love. And Jesus had no regret of shedding his blood for you. He thinks you're worth dying for. He loves you so much that you are worth the pain. You are worth the death. And he shed his blood for you. You know, um, I've had the privilege, and I say it's a privilege. I think weddings are fun. Um, and, but there is a scripture that I often read in, uh, when I officiate weddings, but there's one text, whenever I read it, I get the, <coughs> or, <gasps> or like different noise response of disapproval. Maybe you understand what I'm talking about. Ephesians five twenty-two. You know what that is? Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Oh yeah, that's real popular. I kid you not, I've had reactions while just reading certain mothers or certain liberal, you know, women. Oh my gosh, I can't believe he's saying that in, huh? Well, well, here's the thing. Yeah. As Caleb mentions many times, there is a pure version and then there is the perversion, okay? If you believe anything less than what God's, designed, you are believing perversion, less than the perfect version. As, but there is a pure version because if we look at the full scripture of God's intention of that text, then you would realize how much God loves. Okay. Very following verse, not the before verse, following verse after. The con- so the context. Whenever you read anything and you don't like that, read the context before and after you got to understand what was being said. So here's the context. Verse 25, immediately following what I just read, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Yeah, now we're talking. (laughs) And all the women said, amen. (laughs) Husbands, love your wives... As Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for her. He gave his life for her. He bled for her. He laid it all down to save her. It's not oppressive, submit to me, woman. It's, woman, I love you. I will lay down my life for you. I will serve you so that you, I will bleed. I will die so that you don't have to. That's how Christ loved his bride. That's the model that Paul calls upon the church to follow. He calls upon the husbands and wives to follow in that model, not submit in the tyranny and the power of oppression. That's not church. That's not God. There is no greater love than the perfect love of Jesus the bridegroom for his bride that he willingly laid down everything his kingdom in heaven to come in form of a servant in the flesh to die in humiliation in the worst possible way for you to show you how much he loves you how much he cares for you and it's not oh i love ice cream He goes, no, you are worth far more. My deepest heart longs that you may be restored so that you would know this love, that when you know this love, you will follow. You would truly want to follow in the shepherd of your king who says, follow me. Not because I force you, but because you know I love you and I will do everything to protect you. That's the love of the bridegroom. The pure version of God calls men of the church to love his bride, his personal bride, and the bride of Christ in the same way. The pure version calls men and women to know God's love, to be in his love, and respond from the love. I confess that as a man, it's hard to imagine me being a bride because the white veil doesn't fit my head. Um, Not that I've tried or want to. (laughs) Don't imagine me, stop. (laughs) But it's hard for me to imagine being a bride because I'm a guy and we know how to be the groom, not the bride. So what does it mean? How can we relate what it means to be the bride? As I was reflecting on this passage and thinking about what does it mean for the church to be the bride, and I I really meditated, the Lord showed me the altar where I was making the vow with Sarah. And as I was making that vow and I'm looking at my beautiful bride, I remember that love, that supernatural love that I did not know an hour before that you know, vow. The love that he gave me, I felt was so deep, so different than anything I, I, I've known. As I was saying that vow, I felt a deeper sense where my heart said, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to do everything to serve you so that you have a blessed life. I'm going to give you my everything. And as I recognized that God said, I gave you that so that you would know my love. I gave you that love so that you would know that love. And in response to knowing that love, you would act from that love to serve your wife, to love your children, to love the church, and to teach from that love. Only when you know this love can you respond from the love. We have made church too academic. I'm guilty first. I blame my seminary. <laughs> they forced me to train academically. Breaking down the scripture in knowledge. And so if we stick with knowing as a bride academically here without knowing here, you will never get it. Because unless you know love. Have you ever tried to explain love to a kid? you That's like trying to describe smell to somebody who can't smell. You can describe it. They can kind of comprehend what it might feel like, but it's the experience that reinforces what love is because it's an emotion. You can't teach academically the love of Jesus. You have to know the love of Jesus to understand being bride of Christ. Being a bride of Christ is responding all about the love. you got to know love. And when you know love, you will be transformed. You will be renewed. And then you will act from that love to what he's calling you to be, to be the church. So what does that mean? When we recognize, okay, you're the bride of Christ. That's the truth. What does that mean? Okay. You know the love of Jesus, that now he is your bridegroom and he loves you. He laid down his life for you. You recognize him as your bridegroom, which means you are the recipient of his love. Once you recognize that, then what does the practical sense of being the bride mean for the resting place for us? It means unity in the same way God the Father and the Son, God... (laughs) The Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, in that perfect union that they share, He invites us to that same unity. Consider that for a moment. This oneness that Jesus prayed. Let me read that. John 17, 20. And this is Jesus praying. My prayer is not for them alone, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. consider the words of Jesus in his heart. He understood the perfect union with the Father. The perfect relationship with God. And he laid it down to come to save us. And then he prays, Father, that they might be one in us. Just as I am in you and you are in me, and the perfect oneness and the unity that they have shared, in that perfect love, because God is love. He's the source of love. He's the one who originated love. And out of love, he said, let us make man in our image. And the whole creation account is because of his love. He had so much love that he, had, he needed a channel, his children to pour into, to bless, to give his inheritance of the kingdom and the authority. That's all love. Okay, sin screwed it all up. But then Jesus comes that they might know this oneness. That dividing wall of the chasm of the sin He laid down his life so that we would be paid, that you removed, those walls would be removed. And then he prayed, Lord, that they may know when they hear this message of the gospel, that they would know this love and they would be joined together and to know that the love that we have of one another. That's the call of the church. The call of the church is not an organization, it's not a building, it is not a social club, it is not a community that we come and visit. It is the oneness with the Holy Spirit. It is the oneness with God. It is the oneness with one another. We, as we have received his love, we give away his love for his mission. Because we are family. We are members of the body. We are the temple of God. We are one. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen <laughs> That's all God wants. amen yeah I'm done <laughs> but let me um let me close this one thought one thought. Before Jesus began his ministry, do you guys remember the first miracle? The water to wine. You guys remember that? Okay. He began his ministry. He hasn't done any miracle. He was, like, really recruiting. Hasn't started anything. There's no reputation. They go to a wedding. And the Bible said it was the third day of the wedding, and they ran out of wine. Mary, uh, the mother of uh, Jesus, Goes to Jesus and says, they ran out of wine. And his response is, woman, why are you bothering me? It's not my time. Right? Come on, I came to party. No, there is no wine. And in, in Jewish custom, running out of wine in a wedding, that's a big no-no. And she told the servants, whatever he says, just do it. And it says that there were six stone jars used for ceremonial washing nearby and he ordered the servants to fill these jars stone jars with water and we know the story the water turned into wine not just any wine the master of the banquet said it was the most exquisite best wine he's tasted right this is the quality stuff consider this though the first miracle those stone jars Six of them. Six represents imperfection. Six is less one less than the perfect seven. So in Jewish customs, that's the imperfect. The six imperfect jars, stone, used for ceremonial washing, which means ceremonially it's to cleanse other people, and who knows what kind of. Anyways, I won't leave out the detail. Imperfect jars. And he took those six vessels and transformed them to the most exquisite wine. Wine that when we share the communion, we can say, it that represents the covenant. That represents life. That represents his pain that he shed for us to save us. To show his love for us. That was his first miracle. Because he came... As the bridegroom, he understood the value of the wedding. And the cross was his covenant for us. Making that vow to save us. Amen. Do you guys see this big picture? That's God. That's love. There is no great party wedding party of any kind without jesus christ let's pray thank you lord thank you lord may we know your love the great bridegroom that you are in your love for your bride and you have declared that we are your bride that you have come to save And so that we would know this deep love that you have for us. We are not objects. We are not your pets. But we are your beloved. That you came to save and to lay down your passion so that we would know how much you love us. Lord, may we not take the words like, for God so loved the world and we are one of millions or billions. But that we are your beloved. In response to your personal love, may we respond to your uh, call to follow after you. Because you are worthy of our trust, of our hearts. Call us, you call us to be the church and may we follow. May we be one in you, Lord. We thank you. Lord, I lift up to you some of my brothers or sisters here who, who have been hurt in some of their marriages lord i pray for healing and redemption right now in jesus name that those who are hurt see the words like bridegroom and resonate pain but lord i pray for redemption right now and healing that you are the great lover lover of our souls And you are the perfect one. We recognize that many of us are imperfect and we do imperfect things in our own marriages. Lord, but you have the strength to overpower all of that. And you will restore broken relationships. So we welcome you to do that right now, Lord. I welcome the uh, the prayer team up. And I welcome any of you who needs prayer. If you don't know this love of Jesus, but you want to know, I want you to come up and receive prayer. If you don't know or have given your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and whatever hesitancy, I welcome you to come and ask your question. But for any of you who's hurt, from past um, marriage or maybe you're going through it now come receive the restoration that God has in for you thank you Lord thank you Lord I'm going to release you guys and bless you with a closing prayer if you have ch- children please pick up your children By welcoming you into the fellowship, I welcome you to continue to pray, ask any of us to receive. Do not leave here without receiving the ministry that is available for you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your desire for your church and for your people. Because all that you do and have done for us is driven with your heart and motivated by love. And we receive all of it. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Go in peace. Go in love. Be the church. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.